are we constrained by the cold open format? We're not Bubba the Love Sponge. Okay, first of all, we are absolutely not. Bubba the Love Sponge? Yeah, we are not that. Well, I'm technically, I mean, I... I think are you love wife, sponge yeah. adjacent no but you know i was involved with the hogan thing and so it's like oh my god i mean i'm not i'm not him but i'm of him if you know has that I mean. been anyone ever mentioned that hogan rhymes with rogan i, I what under in what context would anyone mention that i don't know i just thought of it wait a minute here's the perfect time to announce this we are announcing after a 10-year multi-phase planning phase, that is sub-phases of the, of the regular phase there, the Truanon Road to Rogan. I need to go to Joe Rogan's house with Liz riding on my shoulders like two children in a trench coat and young Chomsky driving us in some kind of convertible. Also are several unpaid interns serving as the wheels of the convertible. I want to go to Joe Rogan's house and see what kind of toiletries he has and uh, get him on the pod. Yeah, let's do it. We don't want to go on Rogan's show. We need Rogan on our show. I wonder if that's possible. If you know Joe Rogan, if you are in the Synthol community, if you are in the uh, Synthol 2 community, which is the Synthol that actually is permanent, that stays, and the muscles work really good, if you are in the supplements community, or if you are in the short guy community, um, actually, if you are in that final community, no need to uh, call us. I am, listen, I want to be clear, clear the air here. I am 5'4", uh, legally a gnome, so you can't get mad at me for what I said back then. I have no idea what you're referring to, but I will say I affirm mm-hmm. and uh, agree with you. Okay. Hello, well, everyone. Hi. My name is Liz. My name is Belly Button Belden, named after the height I come up to on That's most average-sized men. By the way, <laughs> and we are of course joined by Young Chomsky, and the podcast is called Truanon. Liz, hello. Hello, Brace. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm actually doing uh, fantastic. Now you know that's a lie. I'm just doing all right. Yeah, I am pretty angry. At what? I had a whole lot of things. I have to say, I um, was doing a bunch of reading for yes. the episode today. Yeah. You and I were talking. And, man, nothing gets my blood boiling, like talking about <laughs> where the U.S. interferes in Haiti. It really, there's something about it that just, yeah, it's it's real heartbreaking and infuriating to read about. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll 100% agree with that. I mean, doing the research for this episode, I, you know, I, I, I think I've read about as much as, I know, I think I probably read a little more on Haiti than some people. But, you know, I've read Blackjack a bit, and I, I keep up on, on this kind of stuff a little bit. But really getting into the granular details of this stuff, is, it's fucking heartbreaking. I mean, my God. You know, it's, it's the, the way that the international community has, and we, you know, we, we talk about this in the interview, essentially stripped Haiti of its sovereignty. And, and really, Haiti has never been granted sovereignty ever since they declared themselves uh, independent from France. It's just like, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's real infuriating stuff. Um we should just get into it, I think. Because yeah, we got an interview. There's no intro up. we can do 
that will do this interview justice. We should just get into it. All right, and for today's interview, we have Dr. Jamima Pierre, an organizer for Black Alliance for Peace and a professor in the department's two departments of uh, African-American studies in the Department of Anthropology at UCLA. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, um, I think we should probably just start with current events because we brought you here to talk about Haiti. And Haiti is is once again in the news for mostly the only reason it's in the news in America, which is that there are protests, there are images of burning cars and, you know, rioters and stuff like that with not a ton of backstory given to those images. And if there are is a backstory, it is very um, superficial. And so I'd like to ask, like, what is the story with the current protests? Why are people protesting? How long have they been protesting? And yeah, what's the story? Okay, so on February 7th, right, um, uh, 2021, the five-year term of the current president, Jovenel Moise, was set to expire. Um, He has refused to step down. Um, And in response, uh, political parties, oppositional parties, student groups, um, Federation of Lawyers, workers, everyone has been protesting, demanding that he step down. And um, the uh, the thing about the thing about this is, people are calling it a constitutional crisis. But there's the um, so we have to understand what what that means and why he thinks Moise thinks he has one more year, mm-hmm. and everyone else, Moise and the Western governments think that Moise has one more year. And everyone else, including the Haitian Constitution, says that his term is over. So, according to the article, Article One Thirty Four Point One of the Haitian of the nineteen eighty seven Haitian Constitution, which is the one that ha- um, Haiti uses, mm-hmm. says the five year term of a president begins and ends on February seventh, following the day of following the date of the elections. Right. However, Article One Thirty Four Point Two, which is the next one says that if even if there are delays in the election, the president-elect enters into his functions immediately after the validation of the ballots and his mandate is considered to have commenced on February 7th of the year of the election. So in Moise's case, since the initial election was validated November 2016, mm-hmm. after a lot of delays and irregularities and problems with the 2015 election, his term, according to the Constitution, began February 2016, not February 2017. So members of Haitian civil society, including the Haitian Bar Association, uh, Haitian Bar Federation, um, have argued that since his term began in 2016, 2016, it should end 2021. He, ha- Moise, instead, right, has rejected this argument, claiming that his term in office ends in 2022. Mm. Now, it's important then to step back and understand why Moise, you know, is arguing this. First of all, how, why he can, why he can get away with just mm-hmm. saying, I'm not stepping down despite protests, but also how it is that he came to power because it's just as important um, that to know that Moise does not have the mandate of the people. So before I do that though, I have to say also that Moise has been ruling by decree since 2020 where he mm-hmm. dissolved parliament Right. And and then with the judges that went against when the Haitian Bar Federation went against um, his say that his uh, his term was up, that he would have one more year. He basically fired all the judges 
and basically replace him. So yeah. he's basically running by decree after decree, and there's no parliament, there's nothing going on in Haiti. Now, would you call him a dictator? Some people have referred to I him call as him, that. I call him dictator in the making because yeah. <laughs> this sets up all this sets up everything for him to be a dictator. Because what's also happening, he has constructed this large security force, um, which he's armed. Um, and and I don't know if you if you see how the police respond. Um, to Haitians, you yeah. have to wonder. The Haiti, supposedly, the, you know, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and so you have to wonder where are all the arms and the armor <laughs> and all the stuff that the police have. Where are they coming from? And they're, you know, they're given to him by his Western backers. So, so well, there's, there's also a pretty bad track record in a lot of yeah. these nations, especially yeah. you know, sort of un under uh, Western aegis, but uh, I mean, in Haiti in particular, of private intelligence security forces, uh, you know, being sort of unleashed upon the people. Right. And, and being, being armed. Right. And, and these yeah. are not, and so he created his own private force, but it's also the U S and the OAS and Canada mm -hmm. are the ones that actually help, you know, basically revive, help pay for the, re, uh, the reviving of the Haitian military and, and reintegrating a lot of the military into the Haitian national police. So they fund the U S funds the Haitian national police. So, so, so there's, so that's that, but, to, but the Moise has never been popular. So these protests are actually not new. Um, so you have to know that he was unknown until 2015 when he entered the political arena um, and he was handpicked by his predecessor, who's, who was a, you know, um, if you think about Uganda and Bobby Wine, who, m m yeah. by Michelle yeah. Martelly, who was also a popular singer and, um, but who was also very, a, a right-wing popular, popular singer and a, a Duvalierist. I don't know if you guys know about Yes. The history of the Duvalier. So Michelle Papa Martelly, and baby, yeah. Papa and Baby Doc, right? So Michelle Martelly handpicks Jovenel Moise, but Michelle Martelly's um, presidential election was also handpicked. He was handpicked by the U.S. government, and this is mm -hmm. what we have to know. And this is under Obama, right? So we so we right. see the consistency of U.S. policy towards Haiti, no matter the administration, right? Because George Bush deposed the elected president Aristide. Right. And then Obama installed Michelle Martelly. And then you have now um, Trump maintaining Moise and helping to install Moise. And now you have Biden supporting Moise. So this is yeah. a consistent policy. Right. Mo Biden, Biden said Moise will not be out. Uh, will we'll stay in power until 2022. Which is why yeah. he's he's emboldened. Right. And so 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 that's that's the other thing. Right. So Michelle Martelly was um, hand selected. Um, by the Obama administration. And, and if you read the WikiLeaks files, it's clear, right? So for example, you know, so there, there it was the earthquake, the devastating earthquake that killed yeah. hundreds of thousands of people, you know, and, and it was the year that the election was supposed to occur. And the government was like, well, we don't have the means to do the elections. We need to take the time. You know, we need, you know, so the U.S. was forcing them to do elections because they wanted to install who they wanted. They had taken over airspace. By this time, you know, there were thousands of military from the U.S. and Canada and France and Haiti. So when he, uh, President Preval back then, he was elected um, mm -hmm. um, popular. When he said no, they flew in, Hillary Clinton flew in, yeah. the core group, and basically said the leader of the core group, which is another group we can talk about, yeah, basically told him, and this was in WikiLeaks, the WikiLeaks file, that we have a plane for you um, <laughs> outside and we'll give you 48 hours to leave if you don't allow us 
if you don't let this election go the way we want it to go. At which point, Prevar responds and said, well, I'm not Aristide. I'm more like Salvador Allende, (laughs) which is is (laughs) amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. but, um, but, 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 But the point of it is that what he, what they did was they, so when the elections happened, very low turnout, the OAS came in, OAS monitors, and, and the U.S. paid $38 million to force these elections. And they, they basically removed the name. The, 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 there were all kinds of irregularities. And there's a former OAS member who, Ricardo Stefanis, who's a, a Brazilian uh, professor and mm-hmm. was a representative of OAS, has a book that details how it is that OAS basically changed the votes at the different ballot stations. And even when they tried to change the votes, it came into Martelly came in third place. When Martelly came in third place, there was a runoff. And so they demanded that Martelly be put into second place mm. to run the elections. And they demanded that. And so that's what happened. So Martelly became president with under 20% of the votes, right, of the people. And it should mention, too, that, that Aristide's party was banned from running in that election. I for, that's an important, and that's the most popular party, right? Yeah, and, um, ex- and yeah, so yeah, yeah. completely banned, and that's the U.S. and the OAS as well. So the most popular party was banned from running the elections, you're absolutely right. And then they handpicked this musician who, you know, the truth is, a lot of us know was not even a, a, a Haitian citizen, right? right? He was a U.S. citizen living in Florida. Um, and... You know, a few days before the elections, apparently they found his Haitian passport, right? So there, mm. so we have to like really <laughs> think about Christ. it. But we also have to wonder why is it that they can get away with it, it's they don't even hide it, right? When it comes to yeah. Haiti, yeah. it's so blatant. And they can get a they can get away with that. I would say too that I mean, I think them making it blatant is also part of the point, right? right? It's like that, that sadistic edge that yeah. it's like showing you it's insult to injury to make a point. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so this is how Martelly came into power. And immediately, um, he restarted the, 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 the Haitian army, which was banned under Aristide because it was, mm-hmm. it has, it was so notorious for its brutality because yeah. it was the army of Baby Doc and Papa Doc. Um, and the U.S. helped fund that. The U.S. also helped fund reintegrating. And this is, I have all these WikiLeaks styles, right? You know, find, talking about how we're going to integrate these former military officials into the Haitian police and so on. So when Moise comes into power, his mandate is even, you know, less than in Martelly, and people did not want him at all. So they were protesting. And I write about this because the protests, so the protests today are today. But before that, um, in 2017, um, there were massive protests and strikes all over the country because the IMF was trying to cut Haitian oil subsidies yeah. because Venezuela had this plan with Haiti. Petro Carib. So so now you see the connection between Haiti and Venezuela. And one of the I have to say as an aside, one of the reasons that Moise got Trump's support was when he recognized Juan Guaido over right. Maduro, which which really scandalized Haitians. Haitians love Venezuela. Yeah. And they love Hugo Chavez. Right. Could you explain for our listeners what Petro Carib is? Yes. Or was, rather, was. I guess. Yes. So, yeah. and, and Petro Karib is really what turned the U.S. government against Preval, the previous president. Because in 2007, in 2005, Hugo Chavez, when oil prices were high, Hugo Chavez um, created this Petro Karib initiative that would benefit Caribbean nations mm-hmm. with Venezuelan oil, cheap oil. And it was mm-hmm. established by Hugo Chavez to provide discounted oil for a number of Caribbean nations. And this was, you know, soft power diplomacy, whatever yeah, you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. And it was in a way to allow money to be saved 
um, to be used, the money saved from purchasing oil to be used by these nations for development projects. So when oil prices were high at $100 per barrel, Venezuela provided oil to these nations where they only had to pay 60% of the price of the oil up front. And then they were allowed a 25-year delay in repaying the total bill at a, at 1% interest. Yeah, right. so it's pretty I mean, good it's deal. Fantastic. That's an, an it's an amazing deal, and and um, Chavez called it a platform of energy corporation. And so that money was supposed to help with development and so mm-hmm. on. But Petrocari really raised the ire of the U.S. as it impacted the commercial interests, of course, of the major of oil course. corporations, Chevron, and especially ExxonMobil. And so what the WikiLeaks cable reveal is that Haiti's participation was a constant point of contention for the U.S. relationship with former President René Preval. But in 2017, investigations by the Haitian Senate revealed that uh, Michel Martelly and then Moïse, who came after him, basically stole $2 billion of the Petrocarib funds. Like off the top, basically, right? Took all the money and was redirected to private of private hands, right? And, um, and a number of officials from Martelly's government were implicated, mm-hmm. and Moyes benefited directly from the embezzling, embezzlement of funds, and partly because all of a sudden he came from out of nowhere, and then they called him the banana man, that he had thousands of acres of banana plantations, which actually were given to him by the predecessor to make it seem like he was an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, that that seems to be like the the sort of deflection by a lot of the people who have been um, kind of named in this scandal is that they're saying actually we're successful businessmen and right you know it's it's I didn't take any money these development projects just didn't get built because I don't know maybe some people you know it's incompetence lower down but but actually like you know these millions of dollars I made as as a, a Haitian parliamentarian is right is totally. Totally. Uh, exactly. Legit. And I have to say, because it's, you know, to, to not make this just about Haitian corruption, because we also know about Donald Trump. But of course. The, the point is that to, to think about, you know, how the Red Cross raised, for example, half a billion dollars and built six houses. And yes. we still don't yeah. know where those Famously, houses are. Famously, yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I want to see those houses because I haven't seen them, right? So, well, the whole, the whole like, UN rebuilding, I mean, uh, the, the, the thing Bill is... Bill Clinton the, and his... Yes. And, and stealing the money. The, the, the yes. Clinton yeah. Foundation, all their buddies came, became rich off of Haiti. And that's yeah. billions and billions and billions of dollars. You know, it's funny because that has, in the past, you know, it kind of started a little bit before Hillary Clinton's run, but it suddenly anyone who wanted to look into... And there was some excellent reporting at the time, although not enough, what the hell was going on with the Clinton Foundation in Haiti has been totally smeared as right-wing conspirators that, oh, it's just like, you know, Clinton body count stuff looking, you know, totally like online kooks, Alex Jones level. But like, I mean, the amount of corruption that happened uh, post-hurricane in the wake of like, you know, the earthquake in the wake of the hurricane in Haiti is incomprehensible. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's a fucking horror show. It know? is, and it, and that's why it's it's important to focus on Moise, but I don't mm-hmm. focus on him as like you know the ultimate boogeyman, right? He's right. not or, the reason that all this is happening, right? right. He's because a symptom of yeah. exactly. He's a symptom of a very big corrupt problem. So, for example, you know when Martelly came into power, there, the other thing is Haiti has like billions of dollars of oil millions of dollars of oil that they know there exists there about, you know, a really big, you know, comparable to Venezuela, which has the largest deposits of oil. So think about that. Right. And then oil and then all the minerals. So there's a lot of gold, a lot of mineral 
So, so there's that. But the first, and Haiti's constitution does not allow mining contracts to be given to foreigners. So up until um, 2012, Haiti's constitution did not allow foreigners to own land, you, especially huh. you, because after the slave trade, I mean, after the end of slavery, you know, the constitution said no white man should ever own land in Haiti. Well, that's, yeah, Haiti, Haiti uh, among all the Caribbean nations has like the smallest white population, I think. Partially right. because of the policies enacted after the revolution. Yeah, and that we and we have a Polish population because they helped fight against you know the British and the French. Liz, so, yeah, Liz, that's right. You guys are down there. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty cool. So so there's that, and so you you could not own land. And then when the Marines occupied Haiti in 1915, they rewrote yep. that constitution to open it up. So so but so so back to today though, what what we have to know about is the first mining contract after the election of Martelli was given to Hillary Clinton's brother, right? Oh, yeah. Gold mining contract in Haiti. And Clinton made so much money that the first thing he did with that recovery fund was have two hotels built. So that one hotel is still in Haiti, right? So it's like investors. Mm -hmm. So he basically got in cahoots with the elites. And there's a vampiristic elite in Haiti. And and mostly Mm -hmm. from, you know, it's a Levantine and European elite so that's the other thing i don't know if you've seen the picture of the elite they're you know they're um they're from the middle east they're um, yes and then they're from italy and they're from france and so there's a group of like 12 to 15 families that run all the businesses that own the ports that mm. work in cahoots with you know these international organizations and to fleece the, the country yeah you mentioned um the OAS and the Red Cross. And I think that a lot of people have this idea about these internet, you know, you hear these names, international organizations, there's this idea that they're somehow like, they're just above politics, they're non biased, they're international, therefore, they have no, (laughs) they have no ties anywhere, you know, they have a charter of human rights. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the UN, UN, right? Yeah. And all of these, you know, I, I think people are a bit smarter about the IMF. But still, you know, all of these organizations have big footprints in Haiti and have for a very long time. And they're pretty much anything but um, on the side of the people. Right. They're not benevolent. And you have to wonder if Haiti is such a, you know, poor, worthless island, why are they so invested? Yeah. So so think about this. The U.N. uh, mission in Haiti, which is a chapter seven, which is actually um, illegal because Chapter six missions are, you know, they come in, they help and, you know, they um, they're not supposed to be they're supposed to be temporary to come and help. The chapter seven mission you re- requires the consent of the government to come in. Haiti did not have a government when they signed the decree mm-hmm. to send the U.N. mission because, you know, the U.S. was occupying it through Bush and they brought in the U.N. mission. But then all these nations got together, including Brazil, and they decided to do this. And so and they were supposed to be there temporarily. When you know when you go to Haiti, there are UN missions, permanent structures, all over the country, and it's yeah. clear they're not leaving. Not only that, the U.S. built the fourth largest embassy in the world in Haiti, right? So after Iraq, right? That's the that's the that's the largest embassy after the one in Iraq, and so that I means that. they're planning to be there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so, in addition to the minerals, the oil, there's also the geopolitical need of Haiti, where Haiti. Um, is where it's located. It's 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 supposed to be the next staging ground for Southcom, right? So they want to be able to establish a presence to fight off the leftist governments of South America. Could you, could you Cuba. explain what Southcom is, real quick? The Southern Command, the military command. There's a Southern Command that yep. basically, you know, similar to Africom, which is the Black yeah. Alliance for Peace, really f- 
focuses on the AFRICOM, which is the Africa Command. Yeah. And the idea of basically having a military presence throughout the, the, uh, the Western Hemisphere. But Haiti allows passage through, through Asia, right, through the Panama Canal, if you right. go through there. But there's an island called Mole St. Nicholas, which the, Haiti, the U.S. government has been wanting from Haiti since independence. In fact, when Frederick Douglass was the ambassador to Haiti, Right after independence, when yep. when when um, he was sent there to actually try to negotiate for this little island, right? Because it's so clear, you know. So the way you hear uh, generals describe Haitians, that the Haitian island, it's the perfect island for them because they don't, you know, the ports, you know, the coastline can take navies and so on and so forth. Right. But also as Guantanamo, they they have to return Guantanamo to Cuba. They're going to need a staging place for the U.S. military. Mm. So you need Haiti geopolitically for mm. that reason and so on. So there's a lot of reasons, in addition to the fact that as the first, you know, um, black republic that destroys yes. white supremacy <laughs> and slavery in the world, um, you know, there's this continued need to, to, to bring it to, to, to its knees. And, I, and, and we can't discount that reality as well. Absolutely. I know. I, in a way, I think that is sort of, there's been like... Um, that exists like on this not even not subconscious because I do think it is conscious layer, but like I think it has sort of been in the blood of like Haitian uh, and American and European relations for this entire time right. that it runs through everything, even if people aren't necessarily like on the top. It's not on the top of their head. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, Haiti was 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 excluded from the Monroe Doctrine. You know, Haiti was, you know, the, the president, uh, I can't remember who it was, but they, they wouldn't even like open Haitian correspondence right. because they didn't want to recognize it as a republic. I mean, it, it is really astounding. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, you talk about the peacekeepers too. It's like the peacekeepers' presence in Haiti has not been one like that people might imagine bringing stability and bringing, you know, uh, development and stuff like that. I mean, peacekeepers famously very responsible for rapes, responsible for looting, uh, you know, a giant cholera outbreak. I think the first cholera outbreak yeah. ever outbreak. in Haiti. Because they dump feces, yep. dirty water into the main water source of the middle of the country. That's how they got, you know, so that, that story used to be on YouTube. So I even have a picture of the UN because I had, I saved that picture because they removed it from YouTube where you see the UN truck dumping, you know, feces water into this river, which ended up killing the, you know, anyone, people say between 10 and 30,000 people, but sickening almost a million people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the UN refused for the first five years after the cholera outbreak, refused to acknowledge it, take responsibility or even apologize or give reparations for that. And now um, the Institute for Justice and Democracy in Haiti, um, which is um, run out of, out of the U.S., now they're suing the U.N. for all these kids that have been left without any, you know, so all these U.N. soldiers raped all these young girls. Oh, and yeah. now they're all these, yeah, UN, yeah. they call them the U.N. babies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so all these kids that were born because of this U.N. occupation and these soldiers leave. And then you have these young girls with all these kids that have no fathers and no means of taking care of themselves. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is a pretty common thing in areas where UN the UN stages yeah, interventions Korea, too. Famously, in the Congo, where you know yeah, the yeah. UN mission is still there, and yep. so it is important to think about. But the other thing is they've been very violent. So there are all kinds of pictures and videos of shootouts, and you know, saying rooting out gangs, and you know, you know, one area where they shot like you know twenty seven thousand you know bullets at this Jesus. small little village, you know. Um, so part of that, we have to remember is just the brutality. And that's what people remember. And I just remember, for example, visiting my grandfather in a small town in the middle of Haiti back in like 2006. And 
sitting there, these little houses, and then having these tanks drive through and like these soldiers sitting there with guns pointed at people who are not doing anything. You know, it's not like we're at war or anything, but this is, this is the terror of the occupation that people have lived with for 17 years. Yeah, you keep you keep referring it to it as an occupation. And I do think that's really important because I, I think very few people in the United States would consider or would even think to say that we're we've we are and we have been occupying Haiti, right? Like, but it's I mean, you make this point repeatedly that, you know, Haiti, the Haitians are people with no sovereignty. That, yes. you know, it's it, they are an occupied nation, and um, it's really the only way to think of U.S. intervention there over the past 20 years. Yes, and U.S. intervention has really changed, right? Because the way that they, for example, would do Aristide, because the way they got rid of Aristide, um, I have an ac academic article that actually lays out this timeline and how it is that mm -hmm. the soldiers landed and, like, we have a plane, you need to get in here right now, we're taking you out. Mm -hmm. So they used to do that, but now they basically, they can fix the elections, handpick, and put people there. Um, pay, you know, the the, the so-called paramilitary guys who are going after Aristide. You know, the guy, he's now in U.S. prison because now that they no longer have use for him. Yeah, drug runner. Yeah, but they were paying him $800 a month. That's it. You know, it's cheap mm -hmm. to hire people who are poor, right? Paying him $800 a month and giving him arms and training him in the DR, right? And so, so but the point is, there's a United Nations that took over in 2004, um, July 2004, after the coup d'etat. And with that came, um, in addition to the 14,000 people, soldiers, police, right. staff, mm -hmm. came a group, the OAS organization, or representatives of the Organization of American States, and something they called the core group. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, can you explain the core group? I would love to know what this core group is because it's an unelected <laughs> foreign powers. Yes. So you can look up whatever, whatever something's going on in Haiti, the core group releases a statement. Yeah, I saw that. There's like a series of statements. Every sort of election or any, any, basically anything that happens in national politics there, the core group puts out a statement. Right. Which, of course, the Haitian public are waiting with bated breath for. <laughs> exactly. Right. So the core group basically is a group that came together on their own. And they, in all their, they're, they're an overlap of representatives of many countries' embassies. Brazil, Canada, mm -hmm. France, Germany, Spain, the European Union, the U.S., the United Nations and the Organization of American States. Mm. Real rogues gallery. And if you see the pictures, the other thing is important because if you go on Twitter, you can find pictures of the core group meeting without Haitians, right? And it's an all white group with no, peop no, no Haitians, no black people in there. And so it reminds me of like the Berlin conference when they got together and you know, separated out Africa to colonize, right, right? Right, right, And so the core group, so this core group, this unelected group has an inordinate, am inordinate amount of power and say in what goes on in Haiti. But because they have representatives from the EU, from the OAS, from the UN, they work in tandem. So I don't know if you noticed, once uh, um, people started protesting before February 7th, then the US released a statement, then the OAS released a statement, then the core group released a statement, all saying the same thing, that you know Moise will have elections and a, con and a constitutional mandate, which is he's trying to rewrite the constitution. That's the other part, right? Classic. Right. And so we will allow that. We will follow the rule of law and allow that to happen. And his term ends February 22nd, to, uh, February 7th, 2022, which means that once they did that, Moise then felt bold enough to just stay in power and do whatever and say he's not leaving. 
Well, because he's got the backing of the international community at this point. International I mean, it's, community, it's, right. Exactly. And I mean, that really is a go ahead, especially, you know, a statement from the United States is you can kind of run wild with that. Right. And, and that, that has been like, I, I, you know, I think people have this dim or sort of, again, like I'm, I'm sure you know very well that Haiti is not very well reported on or oh, not yeah. often reported on in the U.S. Um, or a combination of both. Um, but, but, uh, America has had direct involvement in basically every Haitian presidential election for for quite a long time, but like really specific and out in the open involvement. I mean, for for decades now at this point, right? I and, mean, yeah, we talk about Aristide. Like, I, I mean, like an American back coup with apparently CIA officers on the scene, right? Took took Aristide out, and what I wanted, like, the US because ambassador, yeah. Exactly. And like people might not be super familiar with him, but but he is, as far as I know, Haiti's only like popular democratically elected. Yes. Leader. And they and after his win, because they were shocked because their handpicked person, um, they did. He came from out of nowhere. Yeah. And won with 70 percent of the votes in the first A social democratic politician. Yes. And uh, um, he you know, he, he he wasn't even a politician. He was a priest. Yeah. He was a priest uh, who advocated liberation theology. And had a lot of followers. So he was the first, you know, democratically elect government, complete support by the majority of the people. And if you know this, you can actually, you can even go now, because even when he came back in 2012, mm -hmm. if you see the response of the people, and I think Democracy Now! has video. You can just look up video. I, yeah, I have seen yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they, so the U.S. was taken aback because their favorite candidate did not win. And so they said after Aristide, nothing they would never let that happen again, right? But it's right after that. So nine months within that first election, there's a coup d'etat and he's taken on an office. And then three years later, which is, which is ironic, three years later, um, Clinton brings them back because mm -hmm. they were afraid. There were all these Haitians leaving Haiti because of the, the repression. So then you don't want Haitians on boats coming into Florida and giving you trouble, right? So then, yeah. so Clinton um, says, okay, we're going to, you know, get rid of the juntas that had taken over um, and then and replay, bring Aristide as long as Aristide takes on these, you know, neoliberal IMF conditionalities that, that mm -hmm. he didn't want to at first and so on. But what they did say that he could not finish five terms. He had to basically, the three years he was in exile counted as part of his five years, which is, which is crazy considering what it's we're like going through now, It's like time served. Right? Exactly, time yeah, served. yeah, 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 time he was served. only allowed to finish out the rest of the year. It's insane. Right? So, so let's think about that compared to, to Moise. And, and so it, it is important, but I do want to go back to occupation quickly, Liz, because yeah, yeah. it is important if, if it's an occupation. So there's a military there and the UN at one point was like 15, 16, 17,000 people, soldiers, staff. And the joke is if you go to Haiti, you'll see it's all white UN trucks. And at 6 PM, they all head up to, to Petionville, which is where all the the foreigners hang out in the fancy bars and the nice hotels and, mm -hmm. you know, party. Right. And so yeah, you could always paid. see that paid, yeah, right. Paid vacations, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. For all these. But so the, the UN has changed its name and its mandate. So it's changed like three or four times. And so they were saying that they were scaling back the mission. So they've been scaling back the mission. So the latest is they call them, it's called, let me see. It's called Binu, um, um, B I N U H, which is the latest iteration of the UN, which is, fewer, um, which is fewer military people, but the office, Helen Lalim, who's the, the head of the mission, still has a say. So they have a say in when elections are held, how they're held, who pays for them, 
you know, making demands, whether the, the, whether the president goes or stays. So that's an effective occupation because yeah, if, absolutely. if, if, if what, what, what is sovereignty when you don't control your elections, you don't control your economic policy, you don't control your political process, what is, what is sovereignty? So we have to remember that. And I do think Moise has never had a mandate. You know, there are protests against this, the theft of the Petro-Caribe. There's been non-ongoing protests. There were protests in 2000, all through 2018, all 2019. And so, so this is, this is it's an ongoing protest. And this is the latest slap um, from the people. And the difference with these protests is that back in the days, people would protest, you know, corruption of the Petro-Caribe, you know, of the, the theft of the Petro-Caribe funds. But as you see, the younger people are now directly challenging the U.S., the core group, mm. the OAS, mm-hmm. and the U.N., and demanding no interference, which I think is actually a nice shift, you know? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned really briefly, you mentioned the DR, the Dominican Republic, and I'm wondering if we can... I, I want to highlight them for a second because also their relationship with Haiti is pretty unique historically. And the U.S. has kind of used them um, for a lot of uh, historical necessities, I guess. I'm trying to think of a funny way of putting it um, for their activities in Haiti. And I mean, recently is no different, no? Yeah, recently. So, you know, the, the it's a right wing government. I mean, it's, I yeah. have to, you have to separate the Dominican elite from the Dominican people. So, of course. Sure, of yeah, course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so, so part of it, the Dominican Republic has always played this terrible role. And I and so there's a there's a long standing historical problem between the DR and, and 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 Haiti only because when Haiti became independent, it took over the entire island, which which mm-hmm. the other part was owned by Spain because it it dismantled slavery and it said the only way it can stop slavery from continuing is to basically occupy the entire island and so it yeah. freed the africans and so on what happened is with the help of france and the us spain the the dominican elite with france with, were able to push back haitians and so what the dominican republic uh, celebrate as their independence day is independence from haiti which is which yeah, is fascinating yeah. in itself. I, yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, but but there's still like this anti-blackness in the Dominican Republic, right? And so famously so, yeah. And so yeah. In, down down to the 1937 massacre of Haitians, right? Um, of 40,000 Haitians by people in the Dominican Republic by the at Trujillo, the border, right? At the border under Trujillo regime, and mind you, these are porous borders, so people always go back. You know, there, there are people, there are Haitians who have never been to Haiti who live in the, the DR. And in the 30s and 40s, there are a lot of Haitians who went there as cane, you know, uh, laborers and so on. But the other thing that's not told is that the U.S. Um, ICE and U.S. Border Patrol is contracted with the DR to provide yeah. so-called security. But security is one way because the truth is Haiti is still one of the largest markets for Dominican goods. Right. Of course. I mean, they share an island together. You know, it's, a, it's the only land border either of them have. So they've been able, since the earthquake, really dump all their goods, right? They, all these business people, the reconstruction was a boom for the uh, Dominican elite. And so, so there's that. And, and they, they were also the place where they worked in tandem with George W. Bush to, to train um, the small group of military, paramilitaries that went into the country and, and, and terrorized the people right before the, the, the coup d'etat. 
Yeah, that was that was a that was a big uh, a big thing during that period. There was exiled military figures, uh, you know, essentially trained in the Dominican Republic, right. which is, by the way, the case for a lot of exiled military figures from a lot of different right. <laughs> nations surrounding right. the Dominican Republic. Uh, and then, you know, of course, put over on cross border raids. Same thing happens with like Venezuela and Colombia. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Same exact playbook. Uh, and and th- that's what was really like the the Aristides ousting really seemed to like it's it's it seemed to sort of decimate the opposition in a certain way like the pro-democracy opposition because now i mean i'm not sure if lavalas uh reconfigure itself as fomni lavalas now Mm -hmm. i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but as far as i know they're still barred essentially from like participating in elections i don't know if legally they are but you know like the the elections bureau or i can't remember the exact name of it will consistently say that they don't have enough support that they actually can't field candidates and stuff like that and so like what is the you know for the opposition for the democratic sort of uh movement within haiti what is their like do, do they have a vehicle or an organization or is it like is it is it just you know people essentially like getting out on the streets because they don't really have any other recourse right people are getting you, you know you know lavalas was really dealt a, a major blow by the ousting Aristide, but also by U.S. propaganda against Aristide yeah. and Lavalas, right? As corrupt and so on and so forth. And human it, rights. Human oh, rights. Talking is, about Aristide's is, human right. rights and, record. Always. I mean, for the longest time, they even tried. I don't. You, I don't know how young you all are, but I still remember where they used to write in major news media that he was mentally unstable. So they, they used to write all these articles saying that he was seeking, he was on medication, that he was, yeah. he was not in his right mind, that he was crazy. So they really created this, you know, this propaganda war against Aristide. Mm. But also really the, the party, once he, he was in exile and there's so much repression, the party splintered. Some of them said that um, they weren't strong enough you know, mm-hmm. they became too meek, especially when he came back. They, you know, Aristide stepped back and said, you know, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily want to be part of, you know, running again and so on and so forth. And so, yeah. so what you have is a splintering, you know, leftist group against this rapidly consolidating right wing um, power and dictator in, in, in the making. But you also have a lot of young people who have nothing to lose, right? And yeah. this is exactly when you think it's the most, um, this is the lesson of the Haitian revolution. When you, when you least expect it, right? Expect it because there's so many different things going on on the ground. There's so many angry young people who have known nothing but occupation, right? Yeah. 18, 19 year olds, 20 year olds, and they've seen what UN has done They've seen they've seen these politicians be groomed. They've seen the U.S. support these politicians. So and I do think now that they're shifting towards and, you know, their calls are for anti-imperialism more than anything. Um, uh, I think the I think my friends, my sources in Haiti think say that they don't think Moise is going to last a year. I think the U.S. might Mm -hmm. have to actually um, give in to the people. Because it it's so relentless, you know the, the the pushback is so relentless from the people. Yeah, I know it's it 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 seems it seems like these protests are gaining strength as they go on. Yes. Like I know that February seventh apparently did not see like a ton of people out on the street because they figured, oh well, maybe you'll step down. You know, we'll see what happens. And then every weekend since then, I yes. mean, they've been gaining thousands and thousands of people. And then we're, there's a huge one happening on um, the 29th because that's when the you know, the, the constitution under Aristide, after they got rid of Duvalier, that's when that constitution was ratified. And so that's the biggest, and that one is yeah. going to be international. So, 
you know, I don't think these people are, the truth is these kids have nothing else to lose. And, you know, the yeah. only way he can respond is through repression, but I'm not sure um, that, that, that will work the same way it has the past five years. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a really good Aristide speech that I've read that uh, talks about using the uh, the Constitution as a weapon, which I think would right, be uh, right. applicable in this case. Which is why they're trying to rewrite the Constitution. But yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, that's what I mean. They they that's, that's what they sort do. of what they serve as yeah. exactly. Um, I, you know, I know we don't have you for much longer, so I just wanted to to, to uh, you know maybe bug you about a couple more things. Um, uh, so what do you see as as the future? Like, what are, what are some possible future paths that you can lay out for us here? Right. Well, the the most immediate one is the one that we've had before, which is the consolidation of a dictatorship through the help of the international community, right? And at, as it stands, he has a personal security team, which he mm. calls anti terror. <laughs> Right, uh, those are right, different right. than the U.S. mercenaries that were recently arrested, moving like eighty yeah, million no, dollars. Those are, or, those uh, yeah. are like official four thousand member security force that he's armed, um, and that's being supported by the U.S. And he's also so Biden just gave seventy five million dollars to Haiti. You know, even as people did not get their stimulus or mm -hmm. health care or student loan, and that's the other thing people have to remember. All this money going to regime change and regime maintenance means that Americans are not getting anything. So yeah. let's, let's just remember that because I think that's an important thing. Well, and people. if you're if you if you're a Haitian immigrant here, you also might be yeah. getting deported by Biden too. Well, that's right. And Biden, there's more Haitians deported in the last two months under Biden than all of 2019 and 2020. So Yeah, his like cosmetic blip where he was like, oh, I'm not Trump, I'm gonna pause uh, deportations, which, you know, didn't last very long, but also didn't include Haitians. Right, and the other thing is, you know, there are more kids in cages, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and that's how what get Democrats get away with, right? Um, and, and part of it is, you know, Obama was deporter in chief. Like, there's no way that yeah. George W. Bush would have gotten away with, deporting as many people as Obama did. You right? mentioned yeah. the military in Africa. I mean, that's all Obama. Well, yeah. And so I remember. So or a lot of it, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. I Look, I remember when AFRICOM was established. Yeah. This is 2008. And, you know, I do my research work. Yeah, it's a work. recent thing. Yeah, I do my research work in West Africa and Ghana. And I remember mm. um, Kip Ward, the first head of AFRICOM, this African-American man, um, showing up in Ghana and meeting and you know, being established by George W. Bush, we're going to have this Africa man, and none of the African states wanted AFRICOM, <laughs> which is why the AFRICOM base had to be in Germany. It's still in Germany, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Obama comes, and he is able to charm everyone. And I always use this, you know, this saying that when the axe came into the forest, the trees looked at each other and said, the handle is one of us. And that's how I think <laughs> yeah. about Obama in Africa, right? Because he's yeah. been able to, he was able to sweet talk AFRICOM. And AFRICOM was also, in the U.S. military itself, has changed its tactics. So now it uses humanitarianism. So, you know, they're building, you know, they're digging for wells for water and so on and so forth. But now AFRICOM is in 53, in some capacity, of the 54 countries on the continent. Jesus. They're, they're, they're everywhere. And people don't even know about Africa until that soldier was killed in Mali right. a few exactly. years ago. In and then the phone call was, that was the big deal. That was the Trump big deal. The phone but call. it was Africa that, you know, destroyed Libya, you know? Yeah. And, and so we have to, you know, that worked with NATO to destroy Libya. And so, so now they're all over the continent. I was at an academic conference in Senegal. It was just, just about three years, three or four years ago. And the U.S. ambassador said they're, 
comes with this African representative. This is an Af- academic conference, right? You know, on culture and, <laughs> and stuff. And AFRICOM yeah. has a representative there? Yeah, and, they're, and then they <laughs> announce, you know, the ambassador greets us. You know, this is an international conference in Dakar. And he greets us and, and he's like, today we're having the largest military, joint military exercise. We, you know, we have a thousand members from AFRICOM and, you know, 500 members from the Senegalese police. And we're going to do these exercises. And so we're happy that you're here, you know, because this shows, you know, cooperation and so on and so forth. And so, you know, so they've come after the military has definitely infiltrated African continent. And there's a new strategy, right? Because the whole point is to have proxy wars instead of, you mm-hmm. know, putting you at, yeah. you know, no fit. No, it's like you think about Blackwater. So you have contractors, you have proxies, you have other people doing your fighting for yourself. Yeah, Colombian mercenaries in Yemen, that kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Africa is really about, you know, stopping China. And we know this, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And so it's just become the battlefield against China. The battlefield. So Africa becomes this field where the fight is going to be, right? Um, yeah. a, a, against China and anyone else who, and Russia uh, to some extent. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, that was that was a fantastic um, sort of overview, and I hope our, I think our listeners probably get a lot of that. My final question, though, is what should people do? You know, we we're talking about Haiti here. What can what resources should people check out, or like what 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 should people do? Essentially, I, I know obviously it's not a lot to be done. Maybe uh, my recommendation is always join the military. Uh, become a general and then do a left-wing general coup, which is, I think, the only when was the, way when that was, when, work in When America. was the last time that happened? Well, it, hap- it hasn't happened in America yeah. necessarily, but <laughs> Americans love the military, so I'm like, oh, maybe it could work. I, w- it might take many decades, though. Uh, it but uh, It's called the long con. <laughs> the long con, exactly. Um, <laughs> but but, but w- what resources should people check out? Uh, what, what do you recommend? Well, I do think, you know, of course, I'm I'm part of the... Um, Black Alliance for Peace, right? And mm-hmm. so I, they, there's a lot of uh, resources. I, I'm, I have to. Um, there's also another group with uh, Margaret Flowers. I don't know if you know her organization. There's Cold Pink has a, a major um, mm-hmm. yeah. Haiti team. So the first thing is to educate yourself on Africom yeah. and, and not Africom, sorry, on Haiti and Africom. Um, and we have a fact sheet on Black Alliance for Peace and what's going on in Haiti and resources that we update regularly from historical sources to contemporary sources. So I think that's, you know, it's Black Alliance for Peace that that works. So that's an important thing to do. But the second thing is to challenge your representatives. I, I think the U.S. should demand to, to ask, why is it that the U.S. is spending so much money and energy arming the Haitian, uh, the Haitian government, arming Haitian police, building prisons, because that's the first thing they built after the earthquake was prisons, yep. right? And so, so I, and, and why are they arming the police? Why are they dropping military arm, you know, guns, um, tanks, and all of that stuff? And I do think um, asking your local representatives why they are in Haiti and, and, and telling them that they need to get out and, and, and is important. And also asking about at stopping the deportations, Right. Yeah. Of, of Haitian. So I think there's a lot Americans can do to challenge their government. Um, it might seem like it's worth nothing, but it, it is important. You send that letter, you send that email to your local representatives. And if we get enough of those, people will actually have to have a conversation about what's going on. But the first thing is to really understand the history of Haiti, understand that what you see in the, the media, the only time Haiti shows up is when there's there's there's. Um, violence and know that that that's a history of a long history of racism when it comes to that country and so yeah just remember that and learn about haiti and then go from there 
Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us, Dr. Pierre. Um, And yeah, hope to talk to you again sometime. All right. Thank you. Nice talking to you all. Good to see you. Take take good care. We should link to and say, or I just want to say that um, Dr. Pierre has several really good pieces up at the Black Agenda Report, and I want to give those guys a shout out because I think some of them are listening or or listen to the podcast. Um, They're also a great, fantastic resource for reading about news coming out of Haiti, Um, you know, people talking about political possibilities, left-wing possibilities, left-wing organizations in Haiti. and then they do great work. So I want to give those guys a shout out. Yeah. And there was so much we couldn't even cover in this. I mean, there's, there's, there's basically an epidemic of kidnappings related to the government mm, as well yeah. in Haiti. Uh, you know, people being kidnapped for the sum of like $10 million. But it's really just about uh, splintering the Democratic opposition or, or arresting them, um, but extrajudicially. It, it, the whole thing is just a, a fucked up story. And you know, it's funny is because you hear all these people talk about like the UN occupation of America and all this stuff. Like Haiti is what like a UN occupation of a country in the Americas actually looks like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, on that uh that cheery note, um <laughs> my name is Brace. I'm Liz. We are, of course, joined by our producer, Young Chomsky. And this has been Churanon. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.